0: Job chapter 1 it says naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away blessed be the name of the Lord and then it says later on in Job chapter 2 he says you speak as one of the foolish women speak shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity and that's what we were praying, that God is good and does good no matter what situation we're in. We have been very blessed in these two months to not have any technology issues. And so we had one tonight, and there's nothing we can do about that. God's sovereign, God's good, and we move on, and we let it work. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for just to be here tonight. I thank you for these guys that are out here just trying to work through this and get this up and going. We are appreciative of that. We know you are good over all of this, and I just want to pray that you'd be with the teaching tonight for your glory, and that once again, you would get the glory out of this. And Lord, we do praise you in the good. We praise you in the storm because you are good no matter what, and we walk in that joy and that peace. And Lord, I just think there's lots of other issues um, that churches are having with this same issue here. They're struggling with that too. I just want to pray that you'd be with them and give them a calmness and of peace about this. Let the enemy be bound and let you be glorified and we're thankful for this season to be in in your name. Amen. Numbers 19 uh, numbers 19, a couple quick announcements here just to let you know. Uh, prayer call coming up this Sunday, 3 o'clock. Hope you can make it in for that. Lynette Taylor leads those up. She does a wonderful job. Great time to, for the body of Christ to get together and pray. So 3 o'clock on that. On Sunday, if you have any questions about that, be on the church Facebook page. Also, if you have any type of needs, be it spiritual, be it physical, just let us know. Whatever we can do to help, we want to represent Jesus Christ in this time. Like I said, we are going to be prayerful, we're going to be practical, and we're going to be purposeful in representing Christ. A lot of you have asked about when are we going to be able to get back together again. And we're hoping to get back together again here in just the next week or two. We're looking at maybe May 17th or May 24th. We will get that finalized and let you know. We received from this week from Henry County the guidelines for churches to meet back up again. And we're taking the steps right now to get those guidelines set up. I will tell you this. Things will look different. The flow will be different. Uh, Lots of things will be different. We want to be blameless in following these guidelines, but we're thankful for the opportunity to get together. So either May 17th or May 24th, We're going to be able to meet back up together again. And like I said, things will be different. And so we will get all that information out. We are in the process right now of rearranging the sanctuary, rearranging things. There's a lot of steps that we're supposed to go through to get ready for this. Like I said, we will be blameless in this area. But we're also wanting and looking forward to being back together as well, too. So mark that down, May 17th, May 24th, one of those Sundays there. We'll be able to get back together. And what a blessing that will be. So Numbers 19. Numbers 19. Numbers 19. I doing okay, tweets? Do I need to speak up? Or are we doing good? Good. Sounds good. All right, Numbers 19. Okay, hey, let's pray. Lord, once again, you're good. You do good. Thankful for the time to be here. Thankful for these guys that you brought out to help out with this. And, uh, Lord, whatever these issues are on the other end there, just pray your hand to be upon that. We thank you, Lord, for all things. And uh, right now, Lord, you teach, we listen, and let your word be alive and active in your name. Amen. Numbers 19 is one of those chapters that it is a strange little chapter. There's no doubt about that. This is commonly known as the chapter about the ashes of the red heifer. And you may be saying, what in the world is the red heifer? If you've never studied out the Old Testament, the red heifer plays a very key role. A very key role. This is a big deal. Since I got saved... There is always talk about this idea of the ashes of the red heifer. The ashes of the red heifer is part of a a ceremonial sacrifice that the Jews would have to go through when they got near death, near a dead body. And so therefore, there's always been these prophecy updates of the ashes of the red heifer and that there was a possible red heifer that was born. And the red heifer would be then used for the new temple and the new setup and all this stuff. There's always been this excitement about this because it's important for the temple sacrifices to fulfill God's ordinances and biblical prophecy. And I remember being a young Christian and seeing these articles about the red heifer. Well, it's a big deal. And you may say, well, I've seen red heifers before. Well, according to the Jewish writings, now this is not the biblical writings. Please remember, this is the Jewish writings. They wanted no more than four hairs that weren't red. So you're talking a red heifer, no more than four hairs that weren't red. And there would be articles that the red heifer was born, and they think it could be the red heifer that could be used. And then what would happen as time went on, they found out there was more hair on it that was not red, and so therefore was disqualified. Now, you remember our friend uh, Ephraim that has come out here, and he uh, lives over in Israel, He's a Messianic Jew, and he has a church over there. He was actually supposed to come out April 1st and share. Great guy, love him. And if I have any questions about Old Testament Jewish practices, he's my guy that I email. So I emailed him last year one time, and I said, what's going on here with the red heifer? Because there's a lot of people here in the United States that get excited about this red heifer thing. And I just want to share with you what he wrote me back. He says, concerning your question about the red heifer in Israel, It's something that Israelis, both religious and secular, are not concerned with for different reasons. Okay, that blew me out of the water. First thing he says is they're not concerned with it. The religious believe that the Messiah will return and restore the temple, and there's not the need for any preparation. The Messiah will take care of it all. So the religious Jews that are waiting on the Messiah over in Israel, said they're not worried about it because God will take care of it. The secular Israelis do not want to do anything with religious or Old Testament edicts. So that means the temple and sacrifices are out. They're unconcerned about any talk of temples, sacrifices, or red heifers. So from his perspective, on the ground in Israel, it seems like we, the people in the United States, are the only ones excited about the red heifer. Because over in Israel, they're not too concerned about that at all. So what is going on with this red heifer? Well, you've got to remember this. Anything that you run into the Old Testament, when you run into one of these chapters that just sounds so strange, like why is there a whole chapter on a red heifer, look for Jesus. Just remember that. When you study the Old Testament, and the Old Testament does not make sense, and you run into some of these chapters in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you're like, I don't get this. Always look for Jesus. And Jesus is pretty easy to find here in Numbers 19. In fact, if you're a note-taker, it's Hebrews 9, 13, and 14. Hebrews 9, 13, and 14. It says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, that's what we're talking about, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the puring of the flesh. So therefore, if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God so therefore if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer could sprinkle on the unclean purify the flesh how much more will Christ's blood do something so as we go through this Hebrews is saying you think the heifer plays a key part it's Jesus so let's look for Jesus in this couple things here this red heifer rule seemed to come years years After Leviticus law. Maybe even decades. You don't see the red heifer in the Levitical law. This is something that's added years later. It's used. It's used in death. And so what happens is. There's going to be a lot of death happening here. In this 40 year wandering. And there's lots of different estimates. It depends on what you go with. If you go with at least a million Israelis that were going to die. Because remember it was the generation 20 and up. You're talking over 70 plus people a day on average dying if you go a higher number than a million you're up to one estimate was over 90 a day over this 38 year period of the wandering so there's lots of death happening lots of uncleanliness remember from the biblical law if you touched a dead animal you were considered ceremonially unclean for a day here in numbers 19 verse 14 if you touch if you're near a dead person you're unclean for 7 days and so this ashes of a red heifer is there in this ceremonial process to take somebody who was near death that was unclean and to make them clean. And that's why it's so important here. So, what does this ashes of the red heifer do? Why is we even talking about it? It's important to talk about death. A lot of people don't like to talk about death. I I don't mind talking about death. It's just a a matter of life that we're going to die. I, I read one time, birth is messy, death is messy, and we try to forget that in the middle. The reality is, you're, you're going to die. Unless you're a born-again saved person in Christ and the rapture happens, you're, you're going to die. Now the question is, what are you going to do with that information? Let us learn from death on how to live for Jesus now. You know, Ecclesiastes ends this. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2, it says, better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. So therefore, better to go to the house of mourning. You're going to learn more. That's what the Bible says. I, I would tell you this. Anytime I do a funeral... I come home, and on that trip home from that funeral, I tell you, I, I, I want to love my wife more. I, I want to tell more people about Jesus, and I want to love my kids more, because I see death. And now that I'm getting a little bit older here, I'm not real old, but as I'm getting a little bit older, I'm 43, and I start doing funerals, and I've done funerals now for people in my age group, I've done funerals for people that I've gone to school with, and I start doing funerals when I see their kids sitting out there, and I start realizing, death. I, I'm closer, To the end than I am to the beginning. Now you may think that's not true. Please remember, we talk about people being in their late 40s, early 50s as being middle-aged. You heard me make this joke before. You're you're not middle-aged at 50. You're you're probably not living to 100, folks. You know, the Bible says you get about 70 years. So middle-aged, folks, is mid-30s. Just throwing that out there, not trying to destroy you uh, this evening. But that's the reality of it. So therefore... I'm probably statistically closer to the end than I am to the beginning. And death is there to remind us to think about eternity. And so therefore, this ashes of the red heifer, they're going to be around death on a regular basis here. It is there to remind them of eternity. And they needed to think about it. And they also needed a ceremonial cleansing from it. Because death is unclean. They needed a ceremonial cleansing from it, and that is what this ashes of the red heifer does. It would ceremonial make the unclean clean, and it's a picture of Jesus Christ. So there's our introduction with that, and now let's get into it. Numbers 19, verse 1, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring you a red heifer without blemish, in which there is no defect, and on which a yoke has never come. You shall give it to Eliezer, the priest, that he may take it outside the camp, and he shall be slaughtered before him. And Elzear, the priest, shall take some of its blood with its finger and sprinkle some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle. meeting. then the heifer shall be burned in his sight. Its hide, its flesh, its blood, its offal shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar, wood, and hyssop, and scarlet, and cast them into the midst of the fire burning the heifer. A lot of details there. So let's look for the symbolism. First off, it's a heifer. Now that's interesting. That's a female. A female cow. Why are we picking... A heifer. Most of the time when we look at the typology of Jesus, we're talking about a lamb. But here we have a female heifer. Now there's a couple different reasons to look at that. One I read, and I thought this was very good, part of what we look at is that we are born again through Christ. The idea of spiritual birth coming from the woman, coming from the female there. It's a neat typology here that we're born again through Christ there. Female heifer. No offspring. So that's part of the definition of being a a heifer, is that you have not had offspring. And so therefore it speaks of a purity there. Jesus was pure. Pure, not touched by anything of the flesh there. Just like the heifer was pure in that sense, had not been with another cow. So therefore you see a couple of different symbolisms there. Red, the color red, as I mentioned earlier before, the Jews said if there was more than four hairs that weren't red, it was disqualified. Now please note, let me stress again, that is not in the Bible, that was the Jewish writings there. No blemish, no defect, it says in verse 2. Remember, Jesus Christ was perfect, perfect, I think of the two passages that we refer to a lot when it comes to the perfection of Christ. No defect, perfect. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He that knew no sin, perfect and blameless, no defect. And then please remember Christ is described in 1 Peter 1. The precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish, without spot. Perfect, no blemish, no defect, no sin. Next one. Verse 2, a yoke has never come on it. A yoke, a yoke is used for work purposes. This heifer is not a common heifer to be used for work. Jesus was no common sacrifice. Doesn't mean he was not the common man, but he was no common sacrifice. He was something set apart for God. This heifer was set apart for God. This is not the heifer you just pull out of the field that's been yoked up and used for work. No, 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 no. Jesus was special. Number two, no yoke, no demands have been put on its shoulders. and No burden of the world has been put on it. I I think about when Pilate and Jesus, at Jesus' trial, Pilate came to him and said, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Pilate says, I have power over you, Jesus. I have a yoke over you. And Jesus' response, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Jesus says, you have no power over me. There's no yoke on me. Jesus was free. This heifer had no yoke on it. So you can start to see the symbolism there. No yoke, no demands. Now, I think it's interesting here that we're really starting to be introduced a little bit more to you know, Eleazar. Aaron's son, the priest. Now, he's been mentioned before. Back in Numbers 3, he was the head of the Levites. Back in Numbers 16, he was the one sent to go collect all the censers from the uh, Korah's rebellion just a couple chapters ago. And you may be thinking, why is he being mentioned so much here in Numbers 19? Because if you jump ahead uh, in Numbers 20, Aaron dies. So Aaron dies in Numbers 20, and his son Eleazar takes over as the priesthood. So what you're seeing here is God preparing him for something more, being prepared for what's going to happen. Okay, what else do we have here going on? It's supposed to be slaughtered, verse 3, outside the camp. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that Jesus was was crucified outside the camp, outside of Jerusalem. So there's more symbolism going on before that. I find this one fascinating. And I have read this before. And I did not catch this point until someone else brought it up. Verse 3. You shall give it to Eliezer, the priest, and he may take it outside the camp, and it shall be slaughtered before him. Before him. Generally, the priest would be the one doing the sacrifice. The sacrifice happens in front of him. Eleazar wasn't going to do the sacrifice. And and the one commentator said, isn't that a neat picture of Jesus slaughtered before the high priest? The high priest didn't kill him, but the high priest stood there watching. You can see that symbolism of Christ. And then you see the splintering of the blood seven times. Verse 4, 7 in the Bible represents completion. This is a complete sacrifice. And everything is burned. Verse 5, it's hide, it's flesh, it's blood, it's awful. Everything is burned. It's awful there concerning its intestines, concerning its dung. This is another interesting part about this sacrifice. That its blood is burned. Most sacrifices, the blood is taken away. The blood is at the altar. So this is a unique sacrifice here. And you can start to see the picture of Christ, where Christ was completely burned, if you will. Sacrificed completely outside the camp, in front of the high priest, without spot, without blemish, perfect. No yoke upon him, no forced. What a real neat symbolism of Jesus. And to tie that back in, Hebrews 9 talks about the ashes of the heifer there in relation to the sacrifice of Christ. So you can start to see how this all comes together. And to make it even more so, verse 6, Cedar wood, hyssop and scarlet. Cedar wood, cross. Hyssop was at the cross. If you remember correctly, when, uh, in John 19, when they were offering the drink to Jesus, they put it up on some hyssop. And then scarlet, you remember in Matthew 27, they put a, a scarlet robe on Christ to mock him. So you see the wood, the hyssop and the scarlet, and that's a picture of Christ on the cross right there. Another neat thing about it is the cedar, the hyssop, and the scarlet is all three used in the cleansing of a leper. In Leviticus 14, shows that us sinners, that we're as bad as a leper that had to be cleansed and set free from Christ. Leprosy is that sin, that picture of sin. And that's what's so important too. If you want a little bit further study, you can go read out Psalm 51, which is David's psalm that he wrote after his um, affair with Bathsheba. And it says, purge me with hyssop. David is saying, I'm as bad as a leper. I'm that much of a sinner. So you just see all this symbolism here going on with Jesus. Just complete, utter symbolism there in verses 1 through 6. Verse 7 now. Then the priest shall wash his clothes. He shall bathe in water. And afterward, he shall come into the camp. The priest shall be unclean until evening. And the one who burns it shall wash his clothes in water, bathe in water, and, and he shall be unclean until evening. Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside the camp in a clean place, and they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel. For the water of purification, it is for purifying from sin. And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and shall be unclean until evening. It shall be a statute forever to the children of Israel and to the stranger who dwells among them. Boy, there's a lot of neat stuff in there. First off, you see the ashes being kept outside the camp. Picture of Jesus Christ again outside the camp. And did you note also, unclean, The priest is unclean by being near the sacrifice. The one who burns it is unclean. The one who gathers the ashes is unclean. This sacrifice that is supposed to make unclean people clean, the people doing the sacrifice are now unclean by doing it. What an example of the Levitical priesthood. That they have to do sacrifices for themselves because they themselves are unclean. If you remember the Day of Atonement, the high priest has to offer sacrifices for himself before he can go offer sacrifices for the nation of Israel. Here are the people trying to make the people clean, and they become unclean trying to make the people clean. That's why in Hebrews 8, and that's why also in Hebrews 9, it says we need a better priesthood. Because this priesthood is a bit of a mess. It's like saying, hey, do you want to earn 10 bucks? Sure, give me 11, I'll give you 10. That's a breakdown in the system there. It's what's happening right here is these guys become unclean to make people clean. The Levitical priesthood. That's why we have a better one through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 8, Hebrews 9. Verse 11. He who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. He shall purify himself with the water on the third day, and on the seventh day, then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day, and on the seventh day, he will not be clean. Whoever touches the body of anyone who has died and does not purify himself defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. That person shall be cut off from Israel. He shall be unclean because the water of purification was not sprinkled on him. His uncleanliness is still on him. We can look a lot at the symbolism if you wanted the three-day, seven-day thing. Uh, you know, a lot of people think the third day represents Christ rising from the dead the third day, and the seventh day represents completion. Remember, the number of the Bible in seven always represents completion there. There's a neat symbolism with that. Key thing I want you to take out of verse 13, though, is this. You have to want to do this. So if you touch the body of anyone who's died, verse 13, and you do not purify himself, you're cut off. You're unclean, you're cut off because you're choosing not to. This is repeated in verse 20. The man who is unclean and does not purify himself, that person shall be cut off from among the assembly because he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water of purification has not been sprinkled on him, he is unclean. So, there could be some Israeli that somebody dies in the camp and their tent and they come and say, listen, you're unclean now for the next seven days, you need to have this done. I don't want it. You don't want it? No, I'm not going to do it. Well, you're going to be cut off from the camp. You're you're not going to be just ceremonially unclean. Please remember, to be unclean does not necessarily mean you're wrong. People became unclean for many different reasons. But to be cut off from the camp, what's showing then is a rebellion to say, I don't want to be made clean. See, that's what it means to be cut off. I don't want to be made clean. I see the sacrifice. I understand the sacrifice. I don't want the sacrifice. That's a scary place to be. I was talking to someone a while ago and the subject came up with salvation and I asked them, are you saved? And they said, ah, you know, they kind of hem all they didn't know and I, and I explained salvation to them, explained Jesus Christ, death on the cross, forgiveness of sins. I said, do you want that? And they, they, did you understand it? They understood it. They got it. I said, do you want it? No. My heart just broke. You know, a lot of times I run into people that don't care. I run into people that don't believe it. This is somebody who goes to church Who says they grasp the concepts of it. They don't want it. That's what we're talking about. This is a guy right here in Numbers 19 that says, Yeah, I understand the whole cleansing. I don't don't want it. You're going to be cut off. You're choosing to reject being made clean. And that's going to lead you to be cut off. Time does not make an unclean person clean. It doesn't. You know, we like to throw out that phrase, time heals all wounds. That's, that's not true. Time does not make a sinner a saint. So, therefore, I spent my first 10 years, 20 years of my life in complete sin, and then from age 20 to my death at age 100, I lived a perfect sinless life. No. Time does not make unclean clean. So if the guy says, no, I'm not going to go through this ritual to become uh, clean, I'm just going to let, no, you're going to be cut off. This is why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. It is so vitally important to understand you need to be made clean in Christ now. You need to be right with Christ now. You do not know when your time of death is. I was just reading Tozer the other day and he was talking about that. What a simple point. We don't know when our last day is. We know when our birthday is. But we don't know our last days. We don't know what days were guaranteed. We don't know how many leaves are left on the tree to fall. When that last leaf falls, we don't know that that's the last leaf from the tree of our life. Today is the day of salvation. You're unclean. You need to be made clean. But yet you see back in Numbers 19 people rejecting that. And they're going to be cut off. And what a dangerous, dangerous place that is to be. Verse 14. This is the law when a man dies in a tent. All who come into the tent and all who are in the tent shall be unclean seven days. So Fred dies in the tent. You're in the tent. You're unclean. Verse 15. Every open vessel which has no cover fastened on it is unclean. You were having a potluck in Fred's tent and Fred dies. So now your potluck is unclean. Whoever is in the open field touches one who is slain by a sword or has died or a bone of a man or a grave shall be unclean seven days. This is what's unclean. Why why all this emphasis? The tent's unclean. The vessels are unclean. The pots are unclean. Everything's unclean. Because that's what death does. Death contaminates everything. The world is completely contaminated by sin. The whole world is under a curse. Romans 8. The whole world is under a curse. You know, If you're like us, it's springtime. And we have some outside cats. And we had three mama cats. They were getting ready to have kittens. Two of them did. So we found the kittens. And so there were six kittens born, and the boys have been giving me updates, and two of them have already died. We live in a cursed world. No, nothing happened to those kittens. It's not like the boys did anything to them. It's not, they just didn't make it. This is a cursed, fallen world. I know this sounds like a silly story to you, but it's been very impactful to me. And it, it, And even as I tell it, I know it sounds silly, but it's something I've never forgotten. You know, um, I worked at uh, the village of Ottawa for a while. And one of my jobs was to go around and read water meters. And so I had my, my route that I did in Ottawa and I would go around and read water meters. And I always enjoyed it, especially in the summer. The weather was nice. You just go and you spend all day going up and reading water meters. And you start to, after a while, because you do this every month, people have dogs, they have pets, they have animals, and you kind of get used to that a little bit. And I remember there was this one house and they had a cat that they would chain up on a tree outside so yes it was a cat chained up on a tree outside and i always found that a little fascinating so if you're watching this at home and you chain up your cats on a tree that's your call your prerogative but i find that interesting and i would pet the cat whatever and i remember petting the cat talking to the cat because i like animals i come back and i'm coming back now on my route again this was the cat that was chained up on the tree outside the cat had gotten off the chain and was on the road and got hit and I just remember at that moment thinking, God, why? And I don't mean like some despair, I'm just thinking, Lord, why? Why in your infinite plan of wisdom did this cat that obviously meant something to somebody have to get off the chain, get on the road, and get killed? And and I just come to this conclusion the whole world is cursed. Baby kittens die, the world is cursed. Baby puppies die, the world is cursed. This world is cursed. Sometimes the technology works, sometimes it doesn't. The world is cursed. God's still good. But the world is cursed. Death is everywhere. So the tent's unclean. The person died. The pots are in it. The vessels in it are open. They're all unclean. This is unclean. You're out in the, in the uh, unclean by just what you run into, verse 16. This world is just unclean. That's why Jesus Christ has to come to take the unclean and make it clean. Because time does not make unclean clean. It is not like this says, hey, that pot that's unclean, hey, just, just give it seven days, it'll be clean again. No, it's unclean. It's been tainted by death. Death taints everything. Verse seventeen. And for an unclean person they shall take some of the ashes of the heifer. See here we go, you take this heifer that's been burnt, take the ashes of it now, purification from sin, and running water shall be put on them in a vessel. So you take this vessel with running water, a clean person shall take Hyssop, dip it in the water, sprinkle it on the tent, so you can sign it and visualize this, and all the vessels and all the persons who were there, on the one who touched a bone, the slain, the dead, or a grave. The clean person shall sprinkle the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day. So you come back, you get this done twice. And on the seventh day shall purify himself, wash his clothes, bathe in water, and at evening he shall be clean. So you take this, this ashes of the red heifer, you put some hyssop, and you go and you sprinkle it then. And now you go from unclean to clean. Now, I think it's interesting here, the phrasing used in verse 17, Running water. Running water. That literally means living water. Some translations call it fresh water. If you go look up this word in the original Hebrew, it literally means alive water. So you wouldn't get this out of a ditch. You probably wouldn't get this out of a pond. You'd get this out of some type of clean water source, a stream. But that phrase living water, does that that ring a bell with you? Real quick, John 4 Jesus talking to the woman at the well. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus wants to give you living water, fresh water. John seven thirty eight. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I love it. I love the symbolism of Numbers 19. How it points to Jesus to the point of living fresh water. Representing that that Holy Spirit. That relationship we have with Christ. That we're made clean through Christ. And not only made clean. Living water. Fresh water. Just an anointing there of the Holy Spirit. Saving us from the uncleanliness of death. This sacrifice saves us from death and uncleanliness. But once again some don't want it. Verse 20. But the man who is unclean and does not purify himself, that person shall be cut off from among the assembly, because he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water of purification has not been sprinkled on him. He is unclean. It shall be a perpetual statute for them. He who sprinkles the water of purification shall wash his clothes, and he who touches the water of purification shall be unclean until evening. Whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean, and the person who touches it shall be unclean until evening. I tell you, if you read these, and you stop and you start saying, okay, Fred's dead. The pots are unclean, the tents unclean. I'm near them, I'm unclean. So I have to go get this ashes of a red heifer that had the scarlet, that had the cedar wood, that has the hyssop. And I need to be sprinkled on the third day, I need to be sprinkled on the seventh day. I need to do this. And if I don't do this, 22, whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean. So therefore, I'm unclean. I touch people, they become unclean. And I just create more of a mess. This is a mess. It is a mess. Sin's a mess. Death is a mess. The world is a mess. That's why we need Jesus Christ. And the ashes of the red heifer is the way that God ordained in the Old Testament to clean up this unclean mess of death. And what a beautiful symbolic picture it is of Jesus Christ, who to this day cleans up the unclean mess of death that we face right now. And these rules and regulations, you may stop and say, what a bunch of rules and regulations agreed. That's why in Romans 3.19 It says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. The purpose of the law, according to Romans 3.19, was to show you were a sinner. The purpose of the law was for you to look at these 613 rules and requirements and say, I can't do this. I can't live my life this way. I cannot do this. The whole point of the law was, you're right, you can't. You need something better. Hebrews 8, Hebrews 9, Jesus Christ is the better sacrifice. He is the better one of this. Because even the high priest and the people doing the sacrifice become unclean by doing it. We need the better, which is Christ, who was sacrificed once and for all, for everybody, the clean for the unclean. He that knew no sin became sin for us. And that's what you see here in Numbers 19. A beautiful picture of Jesus Christ with the ashes of the red heifer. And I absolutely love the symbolism of it. Absolutely love. So we'll pick it up next week in Numbers 20. 21 and 22 and etc. And we're going to get back into the more of the narrative here. But this Numbers 19 is put in there because as death is happening now all around here in the nation of Israel, they need some way to make themselves clean from the uncleanliness of death. Especially with possibly a million plus people dying here over 38 years, there's going to be a lot of death going around. Uh, do we have any questions or anything like that from the online world? No, one, no questions. all right Hey, I appreciate everybody's flexibility tonight with it and um, appreciate the guys that came out to help here as well so we will pick it up next Wednesday again in Numbers 20 we will still be live streaming this Sunday and our goal prayerfully and we need prayer for wisdom and I I think I told you last week as we're getting ready here to reopen up um, we're praying Psalm 133 unity we're praying for wisdom knowledge and understanding where there's no vision the people perish Proverbs 29 and we're praying for just that wisdom to know what this looks like here and we want to walk forward practically, purposefully, prayerfully. And, and things are going to be different. There's a lot of guidelines coming out that we are going to follow, that we need to be blameless in following. So we will prepare you for that as we get a clearer picture of what that is. But we're hoping the 17th or the 24th, we'll make sure you guys know, keep us in prayer for that as well. Oh, yeah, tweets. There is one last question. Uh, do you know how many years Israel actually observed this? Do we know how many years Israel actually observed this? I think the answer is found... And Numbers 19, uh, 21. It shall be a perpetual statute for them. The understanding was this was something that was supposed to continue on. And obviously, it was known to the Jews at the time when the book of Hebrews was written, because when it's referenced in Hebrews 9, it is mentioned the ashes of a heifer. So. It is not mentioned really again as happening, but it is called a perpetual statute in verse 21 there. And once again, it goes back to what I was telling you that Ephraim wrote me in the email, that the religious Jews are not worried about it over in Israel because they're assuming that when the Messiah does come, that he's just going to take care of this. So it's something they're still thinking about as well. All All right. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being good in all seasons. Thank you for working it out that we can get together and teach this. And for those that stuck around to watch it, I pray they're blessed. For those that are going to pick it up later on podcast, I pray they're blessed. Lord, you are good and do good. We love you. We thank you. Um, Lord, I just think of little Danny up there in, in Michigan. My heart always goes out to him. Just the recovery there with the trach and just the new season that they're in with Orsi and Zoli, your hand to health. And Lord, you're a good God and you do good. And as we get ready to get back together here in the next couple weeks, um, bring that together for your glory. In your safety, we do not fear the pestilence at night. we walk in faith, not fear. And Lord, we want to be a light and a witness and always say and do in your name. Amen. You guys, have a good evening and God bless.